words of our cheese. That is a disgrace. Very finely dressed person, and I'm a great admirer of his dress sense. So, with what? With what? In December, I'll be in Beijing, opening up new pork markets. Hello there, my pork prognosticators. It's Chappy, your British butt. The keep calm and cauliflower cheese has arrived on your mantelpiece, ladies and mantelpieces, for another Sunday sermon edition of the podcast. It's lovely to have you here. I have to say, though, I've had uh, some very, very buttery toast. The butter and honey was dripping down my chin, darlings. Yes, it was uh, It's right in the stubble there. It's rather sticky and unctuous and delicious and just wish my tongue was a little bit longer so I could lap the rest of it up. But it's all uh, dripping down the chin, onto the chest hair. Because, of course, I uh, perform this podcast uh, bare-chested. Uh, for no other reason than I get insanely hot as talking about this. Uh, I think I talked about this yesterday. And uh, the, the wind is upon us this morning here uh, here in deepest, sunny, delightful, leafy Colorado. And uh, it's, uh, it's going to, it may blow off the toupee. It may blow off the toupee or it may loosen the toasted honey that's stuck between the mandibles this morning. It's right in there, right in there. I can't get, I just can't get it off. It's right stuck in right there. And um, so maybe that could be the uh, case. It's not going to make my hair look any worse. It needs uh, a little bit of a spruce caboose this morning, a little bit of water, and uh, and a good strong comb to uh, to comb out these curls and straighten things up nicely for you people. And I sort of realised that I still got my uh, sticky plasters on both arms from the injection the other day. I, I feel pretty clean other than having some pretty dirty plasters stuck to my arms as memory of uh, this little booster I had the other day. And, I, and again, I, uh, I prostrate myself uh, to you, listening audience, and apologize for not being here on Friday. Because I know I sort of uh, kick off the weekend for you know, probably a handful of you. I'm not going to boast. I'm trying my damnest here, but I have several bananas that I've separated and I cannot ripen my banana as much as I try and I've, I've almost tried everything I've almost decided to spray some of that uh, brown tanning uh, tanning liquid you got in the 1970s where everybody was that crazy bronze and I mean I, I suppose it's almost uh, like uh, cooking oil that people used to put on themselves but I'm thinking well maybe I could spray my bananas because I've First of all, the bananas uh, were put away in a darkened corner, so there's no sort of, uh, I guess, photosynthesis going on or whatever it's called. 
and then I moved it to sunlight and I realized that these organic bananas are never going to ripen. They're still green. They still have that coat of armor. You know that it's almost like chainmail beneath that you cannot penetrate. Uh, you peel it and then underneath it's as hard as a cricket box. Well, I mean, I don't think you really want that sort of analogy first thing in the morning, a cricket box and then a banana underneath. I mean, you really don't want that, do you? <clears throat> yes, I'm still a little bit croaky today, but, you know, the honey is lubricating affairs. But, ha- yeah, have you ever had the situation where your, your bananas will not bronze? They will not ripen. There's something going on. In the ether, I tell you, I've never had this situation before. Bananas often ripen too quickly, but I've never had the case where my bananas will not rip on. I mean, I'm wondering if I should take the bunch of them. Now, they've all been separated, so it'll be a little bit harder to carry. Maybe one on each finger, like a fruity Freddy Krueger. I may take them to the European Wax Centre. You know the European Wax Centre where you go and you come back with more of a bush than you entered? (laughs) <laughs> don't they do tanning there would they would they feel a little bit uncomfortable with me going under the tanning bed with a bunch of bananas and i i suppose at the end of this the bananas will not be ripened and i will be rather bronzed uh probably um needing a couple of medallions or something just to uh you know pierre de resistance you know the world is still slightly insane. Uh, Boris Johnson is still running for prime minister. It's a little bit of Groundhog Day going on. Um, who knows if uh, clear heads will prevail? Which, whichever your point of view and your opinion is on this matter, I'm not. To, I'm not here to push you to one side or the other. I have to stop the temptation. I've got a rather bulbous-looking, you know, almost like tumor-ridden sheep on my desk here. Not, not literally you know, barbar sheep. No, no, we haven't got him. Um, but it's it's a stress toy. And it's sort of all bubbly. And I use it, you know, when I'm working. I know people say, well, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a, I'm a butler, but I can, you know, I can pour a, a carafe of wine and, and pop the bubbly sheep at the same time. It does help stress levels, but probably not good for an audio podcast here, this popping. You know, I know I'm not particularly professional and I pop near the microphone quite often, uh, but Dolly the uh, bobbly bubbly sheep is quite a, a, a stress release I have, but it makes me also want the lamb madras. Yesterday on the podcast, we talked about one of the worst culinary crimes known to man. And I know a lot of Americans would have said it's beans on toast. No, it's salmon foil foiled up and wrapped and put into a dishwasher and cooked in a dishwasher. With, uh, with the cascade going on, just to make it nice and lemony. We talked about that uh, yesterday in the podcast. Um, also, we, uh, we tried to sort of hazard a guess uh, of one of my favorite, uh, um, favorite headlines of the week, Sex Festival in Tunbridge Wells Sparks Concerns About Parking. <clears throat> now, we talked about backing up. Uh, we talked about maybe double parking, left hand down. Uh, even uh, even parallel parking for those who are quite flexible and why you should not park on double yellow lines. Yes, we discussed that yesterday as well. The British and tipping, we ha- we did uh, 
dip our finger in the water and uh, come up with, a, with the idea that James Corden probably was banned from Balthazar Restaurant because he was a bad tipper. British are very bad at tipping. I was up until midnight also the other night listening to the new Taylor Swift album. Yes, I was. And I, and I even got to the 3 a.m. edition as well, which was rather very nice. Um, now, I think I'm becoming my parents... Uh, have you ever heard of baby Botox? No, that sounds absolutely awful, doesn't it? But there is a, such a thing as baby Botox. I think I'm becoming my parents. Golf ball artillery coming towards you where you've got a golfing beginner who knows nothing. And he's just picking off people, walking their dogs at night and hitting balls aimlessly towards them. Now, if you're deciding to go manscaping and you're getting the lawnmower, which is apparently a manscaping tool, it's, uh, it almost so, it sounds a little bit like a gentleman's persuader, but nothing would persuade me to take out that manscaper anywhere near my lower regions, even though they've got pictures of pumpkins behind. <laughs> You've got pumpkin spice lattes, uh, you can buy pumpkins to carve, and then you can carve your own pumpkin with a lawnmower. It's something along those uh, lines as well. We're going to be talking about stained teacups. Uh, it seems like men love to have their cups nice and dirty, nice and stain, you know, stainy, uh, with that, <clears throat> with those sort of caffeine, tanning-related rings everywhere. Also, a porridge special today. A porridge special. There's lots of uh, porridge talk, and I'm not going to call it oatmeal. I, I, I refuse to call it oatmeal. And also, when people send you that corporate email, when you have to acknowledge, and you have to acknowledge with ACK, ACW back. Is it ACW? I think it is. And I absolutely hate that. I want to put the full acknowledge. I'm not going to shorten it. I'm not going to shorten anyone. I'm not chap. I'm chappy. Now, we've got a new candidate for prime minister. This is somebody who definitely should become prime minister. Rick Astley for prime minister. He'll never give you up, let you down, run around, desert you, make you cry, say goodbye, tell a lie, and hurt you. I woke up in the middle of the night, and um, yeah, I had a whole evening basically watching zombie apocalypses, um, zombies getting blown up with, uh, with nuclear weapons, whatever. I woke up, and I, and I thought we'd reached the end of days. Uh, yeah, I w woke up in the middle of the night because I, I got my phone. I, I tried to plug my phone in the bathroom, so I'm not disturbed, not tempted to go scrolling around at two in the morning, reading newspaper articles and, and all of the rest. Um, so I have it plugged in the bathroom. Went into the bathroom and I, well, I'll have a quick see what's going on. Maybe there's some news in the Tory leadership election. Uh, three o'clock in the morning, US time. Anyway, so it, it, there was no internet. No internet, no cell coverage, and it had that dastardly new Apple feature, which would be fantastic if I was in the Atacama Desert or something, that had SOS on it. SOS. So, I looked at the phone again. I mean, I, I, I turned it on and off, tried everything, and nothing, no signal either the cell signal or Wi-Fi. Maybe it's the end of days and I haven't got any bottled water. But I have, you know, 200 cans of tomato soup and uh, green chili stew soup with pork in it, which is rather nice, I tell you, rather nice. I was thinking, well, 
can we send an SOS to, you know, my mum and dad or my girlfriend or, you know, can I do that? I think it's only to the emergency services. And, um, you know, I was about to sort of, well, considering anyway, contemplating sending the SOS. And then I realised that the VPN had got stuck in it. Uh, it was blocking, it was stopping. The Wi-Fi is stopping the cellular. I mean, it sounds very nerdy. And, oh, the VPN was stuck, and the VPN was stuck. So anyway, everything was working fine. But I do wonder, though, and we talked about this yesterday. Do you think if you sent an SOS message to the authorities, if you were stuck in, you know, the Sahara or the Atacama, you know, or... Or sort of on a long hike on a 14er here, maybe in Colorado. Do you think uh, the people at the other end would get the green bubble message? Rare and intimate letters written by the war hero Lord Horatio Nelson to his lover Emma Hamilton have gone on display to mark Trafalgar Day. The new exhibition at the National Museum of Royal Navy at the Portsmouth, Portsmouth Historic Dockyard in Hampshire, I highly recommend going there by the way, Nelson, in his own words, focuses on 30 rare documents alongside other personal items owned by the Vice Admiral who was killed in Britain's uh, victory over France in the Battle of Trafalgar. The letters to Hamilton were written by Nelson with his left hand after he lost his right arm in battle. In one written shortly before the birth of their daughter, my heart sank within me. Uh, Nelson was married to France's Nesbitt, but conducted an intense love affair with Hamilton after being introduced during the 1790s. Um, also on display was a betrothal ring that Vice Admiral gave to Hamilton along with a miniature portrait and a meat platter. Well, it, thank God it's not a cheese board, or no, sorry, butter board, as we had yesterday. If it was Nelson's butter board... Just imagine, yeah. You know, I, I don't think I'd want Nelson's butterboard because maybe his arm was amputated on the butterboard or something along those lines. Yeah, it, it, I don't think it would be very dairy. It'd be probably a little bit meaty. I don't, I don't think you'd want that as well. So, also, um, Nelson's one of Nelson's uh, uh, smocks, one of his military jackets which has uh, the, the blood of one of his comrades uh, on, I think, the left arm or something along those lines. That's for sale as well. But my, my question is this, Jim. I mean, there's either love letters being written, and I always got a little bit confused here uh, between Napoleon and Nelson. You know, not one was a victor, one was a loser, one was a vanquished. You know, it was... Napoleon was the was basically the Liz Truss of, uh, of of wartime commanders and leaders throughout the world. That's going to really rile up the French, isn't it? They're going to march me down the Champs Elysees and uh, probably guillotine me after that remark. Anyway, so both of them had their hand. I don't know if it's left or right hand tucked into their uh, into their military jacket, their smocks, whatever you want to call it. Now Nelson's, uh, well Nelson, Nelson had uh, his arm pinned because he lost his arm. And I think even before that, even when he had a functioning arm, he liked to tuck his arm into the. I mean, did they have like uh, hand warmers in there or something? But Napoleon did the same thing. I don't know if it's the left or the right. Maybe it's a situation that you know they didn't have good sanitizer, and one of the hand, you know, hands they used to wipe their bottoms. They, you know. They want to embarrass themselves and tuck that arm right into the tunic there. But also, you know, did 
Napoleon have a gammy hand or something? And did that prevent them from being, you know, successful lovers over the years? I mean, I don't know. I'm just hazarding a guess here. But, you know, wartime leaders, both the French and the British in the the 1800s, liked to have their hand tucked into their tunic whenever they were photographed. Maybe they uh, had a subtle sharp knife for cutting cheese or slicing down or maybe even a butter knife for the butterboard. Keep gum and cauliflower cheese were almost immediate in our answers to our questions. Why did Napoleon, uh, we, we know Nelson had his hand uh, tucked in, well, but he didn't have his hand in his arm. It was clipped to the side. Uh, his hand was, uh, he had it amputated and he had the sleeve clipped to his chest. But a group of people described Napoleon Bonaparte's physical appearance and chances are the same things will come up. He was short, so short that contemporary British cartoonists delighted and depict him as a pint-sized figure called Little Boney. I don't want to know about what's dead. Anyway, he would walk around with his right hand tucked, so his right hand tucked between the buttons of his shirt, waistcoat or jacket. They may also add something about his hat looking grumpy after the defeat at the Battle of Waterloo. So the distinctive pose certainly featured in the numerous portraits of the emperor, no matter what he was doing, from standing with quiet dignity in his study to retreating from his disastrous Russian campaign. It's claimed based on no evidence that Napoleon hid his hand because it had been deformed. He had a gimpy hand. It was deformed in battle. There's another idea that he was constantly pressing on his stomach to alleviate his chronic pain. So he was pressing on his stomach because he had wind. So how, you know, maybe he had long arms. He could like press down on the bow there and release some of the pressure. Or maybe he had an extra hairy chest and during the coldness, during the Battle of Trafalgar, it kept warm amongst the hair. Who knows? But the truth behind the look has little to do with Napoleon at all. As do portraiture in the 18th and 19th century, concealing a hand in a shirt became a common pose in paintings as a symbol of statesmanlike nobility and restraint. According to the 1737 book on etiquette, The Rudiments of Gentile Behaviour by François Nivellon, it symbolised manly boldness tempered with modesty. The idea might go back as the ancient Greeks, when eminent orator Achenese declared that speaking with the arm inside one's cloak was a sign of modesty. Happy to take the inspiration around antiquity, soon most men of the era, some women, were sporting with the one-handed pose when sitting for portraits including George Washington and Mozart. It is also worth noting that the hands are devilishly tricky to paint, so perhaps hiding one relieves some of the pressure for the lesser talented artists. I think it's a little bit creepy though, isn't it? having a hand missing, tucked in there. Where's your hand? And what's it doing, sir? And of course, I give you the vital news and headlines in the week. A shock caterer spotted the face of Boris Johnson staring back at him from a chicken corner and suggests it could be a premonition that the former prime minister is on his way back to number 10. Jonathan Hontinger was making a chicken corner ready for a client that noticed a politician glaring back at him. The father of one said he found it hilarious that eight pieces of the chicken had fallen to make the shape of two eyes, a nose and a mouth, with a yellow rice resembling Boris Johnson's disheveled hair. Mr. Hartinger fears the apparition could be a premonition of the former PM's return to the front line and admits with the right people around him, Boris couldn't do any worse than Liz Truss is currently doing. Well, thank you, sir. 
The 40-year-old from Leatherhead, Surrey, said I was preparing my dinner for one of my clients at home. He said to me specifically wanted the rice and curry kept separate. When I went to pick the plate, I saw it. He said, oh, it looks like if he looks like Boris. He found it very funny. Well, I'm going to eat him now. The chicken fell into one place, so it looked like a face. His hair is a bit disheveled. It's part of the act. He doesn't have a sensible hairdo. Mr. Ostinger said he voted for the former Conservative leader in 2019. He wouldn't support him again, though, if his appearance in the chicken curry of a sign making a comeback. It could be a sign. You could say a premonition. I'm not a big fan, but it wouldn't surprise me if he came back into politics. I've always found him entertaining as a laugh, but he needs somebody serious running the country. Not Boris Biryani. So the other day, I realized that I'm turning into my parents. I mean, many, many people say that I'm very similar to my mother anyway. But I think I'm turning into my father too. Though, baked potato for lunch the other day. And <clears throat> my dad loves to have buttered bread with everything. It's a sort of a, a addition, accoutrement, to everything that he has. You know, whether it's uh, boiled potatoes, nice stew. He always needs some buttered bread. I mean, there's many other reasons I think I'm turning into my dad. But have you ever been doing some ordinary or minuscule tasks and immediately stopped what you're doing in pure shock and sometimes horror, then immediately after initial shock, oh my God, I'm turning into my parents. No worries, but as you grow older in age, it tends to happen more often than not. Here are five signs you're turning and experiencing uh, and you're metamorphosizing into your parents. <clears throat> you start using their jokes, number one. But two, their moral values are your moral values. This one can be taken many different ways for its political views, religious views, or how you conduct yourself around others. Your parents' influence slowly begin making their way into your head. You've adopted their weird expressions. Every family has their weird expressions. Only their family will understand. However, more often than not, it's usually passed down from one of your parents. Number four, their cooking habits become your cooking habit. The, the, the cook and chef of my family is my mother. Over the years, she made some very creative tricks and tips for herself in the kitchen. Although I'm not allowed to give away any of her famous recipes, of course, they can confidently say that when I'm in the kitchen, I tend to recreate my mother's cooking techniques other than I use a lot more goose fat. You take on their physical features. Unfortunately, it happens to the best of us. As people grow older, so do their physical appearances. Whether you start going bald, growing larger, height-wise or width-wise, your eyesight starts to go. You start looking more and more like your parents as you grow older. So I said it was a porridge special on the podcast today. Not oatmeal, porridge. A man has been tormented by a stranger screaming, Porridge! For his letterbox, the heckles happened at strange hours in the middle of the night over the course of the last three weeks. He wanted to remain anonymous, but the victim said he was at his wit's end and pleaded with the porridge whisperer to stop immediately. The man took to social media and told his neighbour to stop and grow up on Facebook. Yorkshire Live reports, Apologies if this post is not allowed, but I'm wanting to get the bottom of it. I'm at my wit's end. My neighbours threatened to send my son a huge bill. He hasn't done anything wrong. I live in... A court flats in Booth Town and for the past three weeks somebody's still opening my letterbox in the middle of the night and shouting porridge sometimes it's porridge time papa bear eat before it goes gold papa before you ask no porridge has been left at any time this is clear and welcome visitor and I want it to stop ASAP the post attracted lots of attention with more than a hundred shares plus hundreds of comments and likes in response. The majority of commentators saw the funny side of the whole bizarre situation. Could it be a serial killer? Personally, I'd get my locks changed just in case I'd recommend Goldilocks. 
The million dollar question is, do you enjoy being called Papa Bear? Others thought they should be treated seriously with several posting offering help and advice to the upset man. Diane White responded, I'm the only person who feels sorry for this guy. Worst crime in my eyes, feeling safe in your house. Naomi said, W2F, I find it very funny. It's pretty creepy though. Buy a wildlife camera recording the wind motion will soon you'll have the culprit. I don't think it's quick oats in this case. It's the slow old fashioned oats that take ages to boil. Lisa Williams, who won the World Porridge Making Championship twice, said the winning formula to make the best porridge consists of a mixture of pinhead and regular oatmeal and good sea salt. A woman explained the winning formula to make the perfect homemade porridge after winning the world competition for the second time. Lisa Williams from Felixstone, Suffolk, was crowned the winner of the World Porridge Making Championships, which is held in Cambridge in the Highlands every year. The title is awarded the contestant who makes the best traditional porridge using just three ingredients, oatmeal, water and salt. I mean, can you imagine a, a Scotsman crown an English woman uh, the porridge champion? I, I don't think it would ever happen. They would fix it. They would make her porridge stodgy so she wouldn't win. The woman who runs a social enterprise cafe for adults with learning disabilities said winning the championship the second time was amazing. Her winning formula consisted of a mixture of pinhead and regular oatmeal and good sea salt. It's amazing to win for the second time. It's back-to-back for me as the first time it was held in person. I think, I mean, how can you have a porridge porridge competition on Zoom? Well, uh, it looks a little bit runny to me, madam. Well, how are you can tell? You know, you're on Zoom camera. Anyway. The final cook-off competitors from Australia, Iceland, Cyprus, Scotland, and England. I, don't, I can't imagine, like, cooking porridge in the heat... You know, do you think the Aussies cook the, cook the porridge and the barbie? You know, they may have it on Christmas Day on the barbie. They have snags in the porridge. Lisa's porridge was really well made, rich, flavorful, well seasoned, and the perfect consistency. I mean, if I were the police though, and I was trying to find out who the porridge whisperer is tormenting that poor chap by saying, porridge? I would, I think I would need to go to this, uh, I mean, this woman's the expert on porridge, obsessed with porridge. Lisa Williams has to be a suspect in the Porridge Whisperer case. But in our triumvirate of porridge news, why chicken porridge is a new chicken noodle soap. Who hasn't made a bowl of chicken soup only to eat around the chicken and get to the good stuff? The chicken broth, saturated noodles and rice. Well, I thought it would have oatmeal in and probably some honey to finish, and it was like turning the stomach. Um, so the starchy goodness is the main event of this uh, this soup here. The boneless chicken thighs are cooked with rice and chicken broth until they fall apart and integrated into the dish. The result is a simple eat-with-one-hand dish that's comforting the way only mushy bays things can be. I think if I'm selling, if I'm in PR, if I'm in marketing... I don't think the last line would only mushy beige things can be comforting. Porridge? I don't think you think Papa Bear is going to chow down on that one. There's nearly the release of the new series of The Crown that uh, apparently, according to Sir John Major, is more fiction than fact. Where they're making up a situation where apparently Queen Elizabeth was trying to be persuaded off the throne by John Major. Uh, to abdicate and Prince Charles would take over. This is the new season of The Crown, by the way. But with the new season of The Crown, we need some Meghan and Harry news, don't we? Well, first up, 
Uh, Harry likes to go to In-N-Out Burger and get a uh, five-pound meal. Sorry, five-dollar meal. Seriously, I can't. I can't help myself. It's like me trying to say uh, aluminum instead of aluminium. Uh, men are paying nearly four thousand dollars for this Prince Harry-inspired facial feature. Rest assured, men, you can achieve your dream of having facial hair like Prince Harry. With the Duke of Sussex paternal grandmother, Queen Elizabeth II, dying last month, the photo has been splashed across the media more than usual. Since then, London Hair Transplant Clinic said it's noted a 25% rise in the number of people who wanted to have surgery to emulate the 38-year-old's golden chin. Wimpole Clinic CEO Warren Vesavaran gave some insights into the growing trend, telling the mirror Prince Harry looks spectacular in recent coverage. His facial hair capped a really handsome look, and trendsetters have taken notice. Since his beard hit the front page, we're bombarded with inquiries over our popular beard transplants. A 25% uptick in requests, it's an easy procedure, and the masculine look is now very in vogue again. He's added that men don't mind dropping a pretty penny to get Harry's look. The price of a beard transplant is more than 3,900 according to the clinic. Uh, and if you, uh, if you have it as a ginger beard, it goes down to $500. The procedure, I'm teasing obviously, the procedure involves removing follicles from one's ass, no, back of the head, and attaching them to the area where the hair is needed. Maybe I'll want a beardy ass. Could I go and get, can I get Prince Harry's beard on my ass a nice ginger beard so as i you know to bend over ala boris johnson i uh, reveal a bearded crack i mean come on people what, why would you go and get a beard transplant i mean i look like a uh, a submarine captain when i grow a beard so that's never going to happen but it looks awful why would you pay money to have a beard transplant just shave the buggers off as i've always said I mean, talking of bearded cracks, um, the, uh, those devilish little artificial intelligent elves, the AI elves, have been trying and persuading me and convincing me to uh, buy a modern age bidet, bidet, a modern age bidet. Now, these are the things you had in the 80s that, uh, that really uh, caught a lot of dust. You put your plant pots in, I mean, everything in there other than washing your bottom. I mean, occasionally... You know, maybe after one or two too many or a rather vociferous curry, you might decide to get, you know, to to fire up those jets of water and let them do their worst <clears throat> in the 1980s. But they were uh, sort of more more prevalent than uh, shrimp cocktail volivants. So the thought that you would describe the whole B-Day sensation as a shrimp cocktail volivant, it depends which way you sit, I suppose, uh, or, or the shit, the shit, yeah, sit. Um, anyway, so they're back in fashion. You've now got this new thing called a tushy tingler. I, I don't know if it's quite called that, but I remember it being a tushy tingler. And this is where you would um, you'd sit down on the toilet. So it's not separate anymore. The, the bidet, the bidet is, uh, is strapped in to your regular John, your regular toilet. Yes. And you sit down and, um, you know, after you've done your business... Uh, it, 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 uh, it, you know, it sends a very, very powerful jet. And I have to say, on the demo, not that I've had like a personal demo or anything, that jet looks a little bit too powerful for uh, my uh, nether regions, for the black hole of, uh, yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying. I don't want 
that powerful jet. But that looks like it's going to bloody hurt. It apparently saves you uh, over $4,000 in toilet paper costs per year if you have this tushy tingler. Um, I mean, I think you're going to get people buying it for the wrong reasons, aren't you? It's called a tushy tingler. Um, but, uh, you know, it, all well and good. It looks like you can be you know, perfectly clean, ship shape and Bristol fashion after the tushy tingler does its work. Um, but uh, you might need some germline afterwards. That jet looks incredibly powerful, doesn't it? It looks really, really powerful if you look up the, uh, the whole tushy tingler situation. Anyway, I don't think I'm going to get in a B-Day anytime soon. Uh, and I don't think I'm going to be uh, having my appetizer being a traditional 1980s uh, honeydew melon and parma ham. I mean, probably after the tushy tingler, my derriere will look like a piece of parma ham. From tushy tinglers to what makes English clotted cream so velvety. In the time spent daydreaming about decadent foods, the mind can conjure up some pretty excellent choices whose mouth would not water over such indulgences as a rich cup of hot chocolate, a nice square of fudge. <laughs> you don't really want to be talking about fudge when you're talking about the tushy tingler, do you? Or a jar of clotted cream. Hang on, clotted cream, the stuff that the English spread all over jam scones. Yes, clotted cream, while it may not be on everybody's list of preferred indulgences, there's something particularly decadent about this most English of creations. The, the whole nation of England and the UK, Great Britain, is home to some of the world's great dairy products, such as fine butters and cheeses. Clotted cream is something of a le legend unto itself. It has multiple purposes beyond simply topping scones. As most things English, clotted cream is believed to be something beloved institution passed down from generation to generation of dairy producers. However, there's one characteristic above all that defines clotted cream, its thick, velvety texture. Something people have often described about me, thick and velvety. Just how this uh, achieved, especially if I'm wearing my uh, smoking jacket, just how this is achieved is a refined process that transforms simple milk into buttery magnificence. Forget your butterboard, this is the butter magnificence you need. The process of making clotted cream begins in the same way as any other dairy product, separating milk from the cream. Regional elites visited a clotted cream producer in Cornwall, UK to see how the stuff is made. The process begins warming the milk to just the right temperature so that the cream begins to separate. With the use of the separator, the cream is skimmed twice to ensure that no milk remains, only the richest of rich creams. If you were to serve the cream in its double skim state, you'd have double cream, or whipping cream as they call it. The clotting process begins by letting the cream sit for at least 12 hours before baking it on a very low heat for a little over an hour to firm up those butter fats. I think that's what the trainer would say. If I went to the gym and I had a personal trainer, they would say, uh, Chappie, we need to firm up your butter fats. The result is a cream with the consistency of ice cream and intensely buttery yet sweet flavour traditionally served to top jam scones at tea time. Another popular use of clotted cream is a top fresh strawberries. Oh my God, this is making me crave for the summertime again. Clotted cream should not be used in cooking as a substitute for whipping cream as a recipe. It must be served as it is. We love to be a public service here on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. And uh, I'm going to now give to you uh, I think an octogenarian who's going to tell us how to fit and put on 
a fitted sheet. So just a praise silence here. Let's listen to Marjorie, the octogenarian. I don't know if her name. I just brought up my laundry and I got a, a fitted sheet here and I saw somebody on FaceTime how to do a Facebook, how to do a fitted sheet. So I wanted to show you how I do mine. First, I spread it out on the bed. Then I open my dresser drawer. Then I take the fucking sheet and just shove it in the drawer and slam it shut. It's absolutely abhorrent to have a very stained teacup. I had to put like a, a splash of bleach in my cup, a little bit of uh, fairy liquid, all the equivalent, and I had to clean it. But there's somebody on Twitter, no context Brits, posted a very stained cup. I mean, it looks like the tannings had been in there for centuries. And they said, there's always one person at work with a cup like this, completely stained, looks like an orange cup here. And these are some of the responses. Confronted by a colleague of mine with the tweet, way too clean for me, coffee's supposed to be dark. Girl I used to work with one day, she was horrible to me. Next moment, she spent 20 minutes getting it gleaming. When she came in before doing anything, she then apologized almost in tears how awful she had been. She actually cried at the clean cup. People of the dirty cups are the same people of Tupperware container, three old, three year old or three week old pasta rotting in the office, office fridge. I started working a factory as a lad. All the blokes were there. I was given the job of making the tea and cleaning the cups back to shiny white. They went mental. They said balls up the flavor of the tea by cleaning the seasoned mugs. One of my old bosses had a mug that was seasoned with years of tea stains. A new temp thought it would be a kind gesture to clean it all off, ending up getting a bollocking. I had a mug like that, stained. One morning I left it by the kettle and left the office, came back a few minutes later to discover it had gone. Found it half an hour later on somebody else's desk with the dregs of coffee in it. He hadn't even bothered to clean it. And a colleague of mine said he usually cleans his ugly mug about two to three times a year by washing it with office paper and water. Once I saw it myself, it was amazing how the mug became clean. I thought it was not possible already to wash it properly. And this was a, they had a picture in the office. It was a, a sugar canister. And on the sugar canister, somebody had written in permanent marker, don't put a wet spoon in me, you bastards. Oh, felicitations to you. Thank you for joining the podcast uh, this week. And it's been a bit of a battle, I have to say. I had uh, not just the sweaty top lip, the sweaty thigh, everything yesterday. I feel much better today. And I'm, uh, I'm ready to go out and lose my toupee in the wind a little bit later. Anyway, if you like the podcast, like and subscribe where you can. Uh, you can listen to it across Apple Apple Podcasts, Spotify as an audio version, Slacker Breaker, iHeartRadio, Pandora, uh, Audible, Amazon Music, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I'm absolutely everywhere. Now, you can even hear the podcast as you're cleaning one of my, uh, like a stained cup that's been stained for three or four years. As you're washing off that, that those tannings and that dirt and umsker off the cup, as you, as you bleach it clean, it becomes bright and fresh again. You can hear keep calm and cauliflower cheese emanating from the fine porcelain. If you like music, though, on the Butler Emporium playlist edition, we do have some Taylor Swift this week. We have some fat bottom girls if you like your queen. Uh, also, some reef, place your hands. We have some madness, our house. Uh, we also have some Prince Cream, of course, with the clotted cream. Oh, my gosh. And 
We're never going to give you up, Rick Astley. Coming up next, though, we have a poem. This will hopefully put a lovely grin on your face, my Spike Milligan. Smiling is infectious, you can catch it like the flu. When somebody smiled at me today, I started smiling too. I walked around the corner and somebody saw my grin. When he smiled, I realized I passed it on to him. I thought about the smile and realized it's worth. A single smile like mine can travel around the earth. So if you feel a smile begin, don't leave it undetected. Start an epidemic and get the world infected. Thank you, my boobies, for listening to the podcast this week. I will be back again next Friday, God willing. Have a lovely week and uh, enjoy this uh, rather rambunctious soap opera, the Tory leadership election. By next week, uh, the UK will have a new prime minister. Until next time, cheerio. of our cheese. That is a disgrace. Very finely dressed person and I'm a great admirer of his dress sense, so... With what? In December, I'll be in Beijing, opening up new pork markets.